Iowa's News Now Sports as your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. Like what we just had in the locker room is crazy. Like I wish y'all could be there, honestly. But it was... Right now I have 120 folks out at the tailgate right now uh, waiting to celebrate this with me too. So I was a Boston Celtic fan growing up. Red Warback. What if you did that today? Lit, lit a, a cigar up on a bench. Anyway, I'm showing restraint. I'm not doing that, but, uh, you know. It's maybe the most dad thing we've heard Kirk Ferentz say all season. Hey, I'm, I'm showing restraint. Like, watch, look at it's, me go. It's outdoors. Light that baby up. Come uh, on. We were, in, we were indoors at the time, as you can see for those watching on YouTube right now. Welcome to Eye on the Hawks, a Sunday edition where Iowa now is heading to Indy officially, a 15-13, of course it was 15-13, win over Illinois to clinch the outright Big Ten West Championship, the final Big Ten West Championship. Round of applause. Round of applause. Give the Hawkeyes a round of applause. We've used the soundboard in three months. <laughs> We're doing it. Mitch Fick, Owen Sebring, Mike Howell, a lot to get to recapping that win. That puts the Hawkeyes now at 9-2. and two. Oh, if it weren't for that little left arm of, uh, of Cooper DeGene, as we all now hope and pray for all the best for his right leg. Saw him crutching around, and I've, again, kid is very soft-spoken, doesn't show it a lot of emotion. He was giddy. What a week <laughs> he's had seeing him on the sideline. Plenty of celebration video to, to watch if you are watching this on the YouTube stream or if you're listening on the audio side. Later this week, encourage you, get to the Iowa's News Now YouTube channel and watch these videos even after the fact, too, and uh, go to the Iowa News Now Instagram page, all these clips. Tons of awesome stuff from down on the field. You finally had a couple touchdowns go your way. The two Ooh, touchdowns. That, both of them. We're going to see the Ostrango one a little bit. That was picture perfect. Yeah, and it was great. Boy, what a stretch he's on. So uh, go there. And, of course, Eye on the Hawks on Twitter for everything else, too. But let's just start hearing from the champions themselves. Iowa at the podium after the 15-13 win, celebrating a win that somehow, some way, the little Hawkeyes that could made happen <laughs> through anything and everything in 2023. You know, anytime you can be a champion, if you can say champion, that's a good thing. And, you know, there's more goals out there to be had. Uh, nothing will be easy, but um, yeah, I think we're all thinking the same thing here. Just, you know, it goes back to the players. Like, that's why we do this. And uh, just so happy for these guys, what they've endured, what they've gone through. It feels awesome. Uh, but the biggest part that feels the best is being able to do it with the team. Um, you know, they welcomed me in, whatever, six or seven months ago. And I have never been more grateful or prideful to be a part of a team in my life. Yeah, it's huge just being able to have guys that you can trust on, depend on, lean on in times of struggle and times of celebration. So uh, we've been very blessed with the group that we've put together and the coaching staff that we've put together. Um, it's just it's just great to be able to get a win like this. Everyone's important, but it's a, it starts to uh, mean a little bit more towards the end of the season. So uh, we're all very blessed, very, very excited to have this opportunity. Uh, it's definitely, definitely uh, feels good to be able to go home. Um, I have a lot of family there and probably going to start asking for tickets tonight. Um, and I'll probably end up 30 short. So, uh, but just, ex just excited for this team. Um, when you, when you play hard and you put yourself in positions, uh, like this, um, obviously the big 10 championship is a team's goal in the big 10. Um, I mean, that's day one. How does it feel to be big 10 West champion? Ah, uh, phenomenal. Um, so good. I'm going to probably get emotional up here, to be honest with you, but uh, we've battled so much adversity, and I'm just so proud of every single person in that locker room, whether it be players, coaches, every single person. Um, and that's why I think it just it just means more. We just keep fighting, honestly. I'm, I, I've never really been – I mean, all those other teams we kept fighting, but, I mean, this team, just they just keep coming. We just keep coming and just – and um, just so proud of these guys. I, I can't say that enough. Um, and you guys should, I wish you guys were there during the week because you would see what I'm seeing, um, whether it be in the film room, whether it be on the practice field, um, just how these guys battle and fight. And I'm so happy that I came back for my sixth year because I'm able to witness it and I'm able to, you know, step out there and be a leader, you know. So um, just so proud of these guys. We've heard that so many times. Uh, Maybe it's been looked at tongue-in-cheek uh, by the media, as we've heard a, a few analyses of, well, boy, you should see so-and-so in practice, um, referencing former players that people may or may not have 
called to be benched over a couple of years. And I, I love that sentiment from, from Joe Evans of, listen, no matter what the games may look like and the scores may look like and Iowa hits unders as if it were their employment, <laughs> don't act like these guys aren't working hard and don't act like they're not passionate. We saw that overflow in a lot of ways there. Torrey Taylor flexing on what an ovation he got for senior day. This Iowa is 9-2 and two in your Big Ten West champions having lost their starting quarterback, two tight ends. We've listed all this off. We'll do it again. A beat-up O-line. Tyler Ellsbury has been fantastic filling in for a beat-up Logan Jones. Nick DeYoung has jumped in a couple times helping out Rusty Feth as he's gotten healthy. Uh, Deontay Vines. Deontay Vines is out. I was thinking about the linebacking may be the only group that hasn't been hit at all. Why'd you bring that up? Not yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> Uh, the defensive line, obviously Noah Shannon out because um, of the suspension. What an ovation he got on senior day and as a, as a captain. Secondary, now you lose Cooper, which obviously also impacts the special teams. Um, it has just been resilience and that move forward mentality. I mean, how many teams can lose that many guys? So many guys on crutches. Yeah. Eric all out. If, all that. if I were to ask you guys before the season – Name five players that we can't afford to lose to injury this season. Who who Cade would have been in the top one for me? Cade who would have been those number yeah. five? I think we all thought Cade was going to have like a magical season, you know, just behind this offense that struggled the past few like, years. I feel like top three names you'd say would be Cade, Luke, Luke, and Cooper. Yeah, those three for sure. You might say Tory in there, so I'd probably say Tory. Thank goodness he's there's, stayed healthy. But there's something to be said though about the Big Ten West. I think the only team who hasn't had an injury at quarterback is is uh, Minnesota, right? I mean, like, yeah, Hudson Card like didn't play because he got hurt. Well, I guess Northwestern, too, those two. But, like, every team's dealing. I don't yeah. know if it's, like, just a weird year yeah. for that. It's it's a weird year in the NFL, too. This has yeah. been by f- an incredible year for the injured quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, it's crazy. It seems like just every single week you see somebody going out, Joe Burrow just being a late. Yeah. Altmaier yeah. uh, did get hurt, but I think the, you know, Breland did the old switcheroo, you know, said that Altmaier was starting and then didn't play a snap. <laughs> John but, uh, Paddock, that, that kid, I was surprised to see his stat line was like 22 of 47 because it felt like it, Iowa did a great job on first down. A, a, more often than not, far more often than not, it, they had so many second and tens, the Illini did, and Paddock just would come up and they move the ball really quick and, and Jay and those guys talked about they could tell they changed up their offensive scheme to take advantage of Cooper being out, really getting mm-hmm. the ball out quickly. Uh, 13 PBUs, <laughs> so many locked P- from every yeah. like, level of the defense. Mm-hmm. Like Jamari yeah. Harris... Played outstanding, but like Joe had a few pass breaks, including the final fourth down one. I thought uh, he had Jay the Higgins final two even. I'm, he was up there, yeah. Y.A. Black had one, I know. Nick Jackson, I think, had one. Uh, Kirk might have had one for this game. For all I know. <laughs> it, just, it was, uh, it, again, and it was such a team put together with such patchwork in, in some cases out of necessity. But when it did come down to it, I mean, the guys were naming off. Jay Higgins, Joe Evans. Caleb Johnson, who I think at least two of us had as offensive MVP for this season, went away for a little while. Yeah. People were wondering what's up with Caleb Johnson. We'll talk more about him later. But Caleb's really had a good game. Caleb Brown yeah, with uh, and yeah. targets, seven catches, and 71 yards. That doesn't seem like a lot in general, but like for you got to put it in the context of the uh, there's, there's a couple columns out there of, of beat writers being like, the wide receiver emergence. I'm like, they had like 10 catches. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I mean, but again, hey, and hey, they actually had 14, 12. 14 catches between oh, yeah. Seth, Nico, and sure. Caleb yesterday. I think yeah. this is Seth's first multi-catch game in a while. Usually, it's like he has one for like fifty. Made some or tough 60. catches too. That's good to see because he, you know, had some drops. Nico's made some really tough. Boy, it's you can, uh, you can truly see how much these guys are getting comfortable with Deacon. I mean, I feel like that was the theme over the first couple of games. Is like. You know, some balls were not on target, but other balls like were there. But you know, guys were just dropping or slipping, or there was just something not right about that chemistry. But it seems like the last two games that's changed a lot. Yeah, we'll talk about Deacon's Deacon's road, and we'll get a look at his numbers, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Addison Ostranga's. We we talked about Eric All. Would he end up remaining the leading receiver for this season despite missing half the season? We're in a situation where Addison Ostranga is probably going to end up leading the team in receptions. He's had an unreal <laughs> last three weeks, yeah. and we'll get into those numbers when we get into Deacon. But let's start with Jay Higgins and Joe Evans, two guys who were voted captains right from the get-go. Uh, 
Logan Lee then stepped in as, as a captain now and has made like 38 straight starts now. Mm. Basically three solid years of starts. But so. let's talk about Jay Higgins and Joe Evans, two guys who were voted captains. Uh, Jay coming in from Indy, played very sparingly on that 21 squad that went to Indy, his hometown, and lost. Now he's the team captain for that. Joe, we've recapped his strange wild trip of six years from walk-on and Ames getting tossed around by guys in the NFL to now being a leader of this team, an emotional leader. And boy, maybe the Joe Evans game yesterday, he was anywhere and everywhere with the safety and the pass breakups. And uh, boy, what a, what a ride for, for two guys, one from Indy, one from Central Iowa, and now going back to Indianapolis and to ask them just about what it's like to now be captains of their own Big Ten West champion team. You're a team captain this year yeah. and leading a team that won the West Division. What does that mean to you compared to 21? Yeah, it was um, my, one of my biggest goals uh, this offseason was just being a team captain. And, um, I mean, just knowing that it's, it's voted by the players, uh, that, that means the world to me. And I, I remember that feeling last time we were at the Big Ten Championship. And I remember that whole process and traveling to Indy and how the, the lights are really bright in there and it's a bigger stage and all that. And um, I, I don't know. I, I told myself I, I'd come back um, and, you know, kind of cliche, but it happened. Um so I'm, I'm excited for the team, uh, excited for the opportunity. You had a heck of a year in 21 when that team won the West. You're the captain of the 2023 Big Ten West Champions. What does that mean? You was a walk-on from Ames who had to hold TJ Hawkinson for 20 yards in practice to get your welcome to the, to the program. Yeah, and worse too. Just, yeah. <laughs> um, that, it means the world to me. Um, so I sat down. And I was just talking to Coach Braithwaite, and we were getting, you know, teary-eyed in there. Um, I told Coach Braithwaite that before the game, I couldn't really stand by him um, just because how much he's meant to me. But, um, you know, I, I had a long conversation on whether I come back or not. And, you know, I remember going into Coach Braithwaite's office, and we sat there, and I, I probably went in there about five times, at least five times. And we just had this, these conversations on whether I come back or not. And to be able to come back, and my number one goal was to be a team captain. And I, and I shared that with Coach Braithwaite. I shared that with my parents. I sh shared that with Coach Ferentz. And for me, that's, that's earned and not given. And so being able to be a team captain and being able to you know, be a Big Ten West champion, um, it feels so good. Um, it feels so good. And um, like I said in the interviews, I think um, I said that being a team captain is my biggest accomplishment here and my biggest accomplishment of my life. And that's that's the damn truth. Um, just being able to be out there and lead the guys and, you know, lead a team that's battled through so much adversity. Um, kind of just thinking to myself, like, I'm a walk on, you know, I'm not supposed to be here um, and just. This team's battled through so much. I battled through so much. Um, and just being able to lead them out on the field and lead them to a Big Ten West championship is something that, you know, I'll be talking about for the rest of my life. This team was built around defense from the beginning. All the talk about what the offense wasn't doing, what the defense was doing, thought it was very poignant and a reminder of the people within this program that Phil Parker was emotional as he was in the video the, the program shared of him <clears throat> telling the locker room that Kirk has surpassed both Shem Beckler for Big Ten career wins and the tears and the hug there. You know, sometimes on social media, it's, boy, how does Phil put up with Kirk and, and having to deal with this offense not doing anything and all that? Well, they're friends. They're the best of friends. They probably yeah. look at each other as family. And uh, so, does, so does this defense. You f just feel the love between these guys, and you hear the emotion in Joe Evans' voice. Uh, Joe, do not for a minute think as a walk-on, you're not supposed to be here, man. There are a few guys that maybe have belonged more in black and gold than him. Nick Jackson coming in Virginia, he had a fantastic game. Jamari Harris, uh, Gary Kerner, uh, Jack's dad, uh, posted this morning watching film, thought it was Jamari's best game. I'd be tough-pressed mm -hmm. to argue that. Might have something to do with that new grad assistant they've got in the DB room, Jack. 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, those guys were bound to, I mean, both him and I thought Deshaun looked Deshaun good was fantastic. So yes, yes, Almost yes, had a pick there on, the, on one of those first. He had, uh, he had, he had two shots. near picks. I he mean, a couple shots. He was one that fantastic. probably should have been a pick, quite honestly. But Seb Castro almost had a pick on yeah. one. Seb was like, had went through great, his hands, I think, and yeah. bounced off his helmet. Seb had that great third and one where Paddock tries to run to the pile and rolls out. And Seb, as Seb does, uh-huh. just gets one fingernail on a shoestring and gets, I mean, just. Yeah. And they were, I mean, they were bound to. Get tested yesterday. You knew those guys were going to get get attacked with yeah. Cooper out the, out of there. They were going to really get throw the ball around a ton, and they they rose to the occasion for sure. That you know, not a perfect game, I wouldn't say, but they showed up when exactly they needed to. It felt like every single player. You know, Jay's probably like the fifth player we're talking about yesterday, and all Jay did was just typical Jay Higgins Another stuff. Twelve get tackles, out. yeah, just. <laughs> but you know, Quinn Schulte had a couple. Big hits. He had that one that broke up a pass on, I think, on your side of the field. Xavier Wampett was on a, a, a first down catch for Illinois, but he smacked a dude. And we talked about Xavier maybe not having the the numbers. People were, you know, people have wild expectations about numbers of, oh, it's, they measure it in interceptions and things like that. Like, this is a defense that plays so well that doesn't get burned over the top that those safeties don't get crazy pass coverage numbers all the time. But he... Looked real steady out there. And then Aaron Graves was in. We talked about Logan Lee had a couple really nice wraps. Deontay Craig was in there. We talked about YA. Boy, this defense has stars, but all 11, it doesn't seem to matter what 11 are out there more often than not. They just, the standard is the standard. And in a season where they needed that defense to really be great, sure, those the sexy measurables weren't there, but all they were was as stout and as strong as any defense in recent memory, it felt like. And I got some points on the board yesterday. I got points on the board. I was telling Mitch Owen that I... Uh, you guys I, both I, had safety dreams. <laughs> I, had, I, I came into the... I was with some friends and we got into the stadium a little later and we were in the concourse area and we just hear a huge roar and we're like, <laughs> maybe they got a safety. Mm-hmm. And we walk out, it's like, oh, it's 2-0. They did. We were joking. <laughs> of like, course. Of course they got a safety. Yeah. So did, Iowa. Did, did Mitch tell you about the dream I had earlier? <laughs> I don't week? think so, no. Okay. I was, I was like, I don't know. I wasn't... I was kind of... In, night sweats about what what this dream was going to mean but yeah like thursday night or something i had a dream that the game ended in a two nothing final with <laughs> iowa losing because tory taylor got hurt and for whatever reason kirk decided to call somebody out of the stands that just like claimed to be a punter and so brought him onto the field to be the punter i mean <laughs> dreams don't have to make sense yeah um and th- it turned out afterwards this person never punted a ball in their life and so they they went out to punt and they punted it backwards and it went out of their own end zone and so illinois got a safety and that was the final score anyway so when the safety came on the board i'm like okay what is happening um i uh, oh, football they were gonna I, they kind of like notre dame because last game um you know, right before Quinchel, he's interception, he turns to me and goes, I feel an interception this next play. <laughs> so it's then true. We probably did an unprofessional thing where uh, after the interception, I gave him a high five. Not because the Hawkeyes are good. It's because, like, wow, you predicted that. <laughs> well, I, I was telling him, and I've got, I, I just hit record on the final knee, and then we ran out around the field and got shots of, like, Kirk and Brett shaking hands and all that. And I ran into Quinn, who obviously I've, I've known for a little while, and we lock eyes. He's like, hey, brother. And just, you see the camera, like, kind of fall down. We go, like, quick. Quick uh, dap up there, uh, so that was a cool moment for Quinn out there. I um, I told him kind of in the same vein that you predicted your interception. I told Owen probably like 45 minutes before the game. I was like, I think Caden Weijen's gonna have a big play today. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what it is. Like I trust Deshaun. I think everyone knows. Like we've seen what he did against Utah State and Iowa State. Like I think he's gonna be fine. No one's really talking about Caden. I think he's gonna have some plays. I think he's gonna do something big. And then he immediately has a punt go over his head, and there's a kickoff issue there. And then I'm getting to the point where I'm just like, man, just catch nice, just catch it. Done, just, you know, just do it. And then, sure enough, yeah. I was certain that— 17 yards as you could ask for. I was certain that um, he had, like, a, just fair catch it, like the, the coaches. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad that that wasn't the case. I'm sure they, they got—you know, LeVar seems to have, like, trust in all the players yeah. that are out there, so it's good that— but you've seen it before, like, maybe three or four, maybe before LeVar was special teams coordinator where— I, for whatever reason, whoever the punt returners back there, this is like, you know, in 2018, would let it roll or not catch it, and it would just drive me crazy because, you know, those are like the, you know, hidden yardage that you lose. And with an offense who struggles to move sometimes, those yards come up big. And yeah. obviously that Weijin play in the second half, like, set up the touchdown. So it's like— And he got like the last five or six yards pretty yeah. tough. Yeah. I mean, he got hit and kept going. That was so crucial yesterday because that was what— I mean, there were so many times in the second half where I— I would just 
<laughs> I was just pu- putting my head in my hands because it's like this team that normally like what they do so well is flipping the field and controlling the field position. And that just wasn't happening yesterday because, I mean, there were some plays where it was Cooper's absence was evident on a lot of punts because there were some balls that like probably could have been down inside the 10. And John some, Nestor just missed Somebody one. just didn't get that down there in time. So it ended up being yeah. a touchback or they gave up maybe a couple more first downs than they normally do. So instead of Illinois being at the 20 and having to punt it away, they're at the 40. And so I was just start, and so it's like they just couldn't couldn't quite win that field position battle until that final fourth, like half of the fourth quarter. It was a big, big play. And then, of course, uh, Caleb Johnson was the hero on that final drive to, to get the score and run. We'll talk about him in a bit. We're going to take a break, though, and talk about the incredible progress that we've seen from Deacon Hill over the last few games, really, since the bye. So we'll talk about that after this. So for those that forget, Deacon Hill was not meant to be the starting quarterback of the Iowa Hawkeyes this year. Cade McNamara goes down against Michigan State. Deacon Hill, who really hadn't played live football since a shortened COVID year in high school gets thrown into the mix and threw it high and hard a lot. And uh, again, keeps it out of danger, but it's not going to keep the chains moving. He has really come on since the bye week. And we'll look at his numbers before and after, after that. But Deacon Hill less than a year ago was working out the public rec center in Madison away from the Badgers football team, just finding the right times to get in and get his workouts in takes a flyer on Iowa after maybe thinking about it or was going to go to Fordham, and now here he is, the quarterback of the Big Ten West champions. I asked him about that journey after the game. It's been crazy, unreal, from working out in the basement of the rec center at Wisconsin to, you know, being able to be a quarterback here for uh, one of the best teams. But, uh, yeah, just super grateful. Um, I think that's the word I would use the most to describe it. It's just I couldn't be happier to be here. It's just been amazing just him, seeing him progress because he was at Wisconsin last year, so he didn't really get a lot of, get a lot of playing time, and here he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time when he first came here. So for K to get hurt, it's kind of a devastating moment, but it was an upstate moment for him. So he come in and show what he can do. So I believe that like when he's been in, been in the backfield, he's been showing a lot of progression, and I can see that he loves football, and he being a – in the, uh, little in the rooms every, all, every day, all day, for asking coach what he can do to get it better. So I, I believe in him completely now. Like he just he does he's doing his thing now. So and then Deacon again, you you know you he gets thrust in there and, and really doesn't have a lot of experience. You start doing the research, it's like huh okay. Um, but he's so improved when he even when he started playing whatever it's been six seven weeks ago, compared to where he was in August, he had improved. And we've seen improvement. And he made some big plays today. He had some that weren't so good maybe, but he made some big plays today, including the run. Um, so you got to give him a lot of credit. We talked about this. You can't microwave success. That was the or, uh, progress and experience. That's what Kirk said, I believe, uh, after the win last week. The Deacon Hill stew is starting to come together, though. You see the numbers there. Four games before the bye as QB1. Comes in against Michigan State, plays against Purdue, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. I think we had this number during the bye week or on that Sunday recap after Minnesota. 33 for 90. 36.7% completion percentage. We noted at the time that's probably not ideal. In three games since the bye, Northwestern, Rutgers, and Illinois, 49 for 75 which is over 65% completion percentage. And that hasn't been like a 50% completion percentage game and an 80%. That's been 10 of 15 against Northwestern, 20 of 31 against Rutgers, 19 of 29 yesterday. I don't know. Again, it's a, a small sample size in the grand scheme of things, three games, but it's half of his starting career now. Do you guys feel like it's clicked? Or is this too small of a sample size for you? I, Matt Benson, who went to Iowa, and I'm not sure what he does for a living now, but he's always got some good numbers out there. And I wondered this, too, of when the last time Iowa had a quarterback with three straight games of completing 64 65% of their throws. It was actually Spencer two years ago, so it wasn't that far along. But in the Kirk Ferentz era, it's been Deacon, Spencer in 21, Stanzi in, and in all wins, three straight wins, Stanzi in 2010, Kyle McCann in 2001. That's it. Wow. Now there's a bigger discussion about that, and we'll save for another podcast some other time. That's amazing Brad He's, Banks isn't in that. Just yeah. a side note. I mean, 
I, I never thought his com- CJ. I don't think yeah, yeah. CJ. But they they were like efficient great- in numbers. That wasn't like it's wild though. A yeah, lot. they scored points. Yeah, picked up a lot More of yards. Explore, yeah. Explosive plays and yeah. stuff yeah. like that. But it's I mean, what, what do you guys think? Has he has he turned the corner? Are you building faith in? In this kid, as he gets more experience, the, the microwave's off, but the stew's, uh, stew's cooking. I'm more confident yeah. when he's out there than I was um, just, you know, the Minnesota game, Northwestern game, too, even. Like, you know, there was... You only know, threw the, for 37 yeah, yards or whatever. Yeah, it was, it was a 10 for 15, <laughs> but it wasn't like, you know, he didn't... A lot of one-yard wow, yeah. since that, I feel like that Caleb Brown throw. I, yeah. I mean, that's an easy one to kind of encompass and look at because it's the first one for him. Caleb in this stretch to 11 catches for 121 yards and a touchdown. Addison Estranga, 16 catches for 86 yards. He's just getting five-yard pops there. Nico's got 10 catches in the last three games, too. He's really been – I mean, those three have kind of been the the triforce for uh, for Deacon Hill there. Yeah. Big one, too, if yesterday, no interceptions. So And no uh, fumbles, right? He didn't he, – Well, he had the one where he – Oh, that's right. I he don't know fumble, how it, this it wasn't to, ruled an incomplete pass. I felt his arm was going forward. I mean, Granted, goodness. I'm just looking up the jumbotron. But. Yeah. No, I, I thought it – the first down. <laughs> I thought the ball yeah, slipped Seth out. Seth Anderson with a heck of a play to – Yeah. Seth Anderson with that fumble recovery was right. Exactly. I also didn't think play. you could re- recover an, a fumble forward, but that's I guess a discussion for another there's day. There's some, there's some rule about that where it's like it, you know, because they want to avoid people like intentionally fumbling yeah. forward for their teammate. Where you know this was very clearly like forced by the opponent. So maybe it's like since the opponent was the last person to touch the ball then it, yeah, so, it yeah. can be fumbled forward. I don't know for sure that's a rule, but I think it's maybe something. I still don't know what roughing the passer is. Th- so. That was some <laughs> baloney. Th- this thing. is easier for a commentator to say or me to say, but I think it's all because it looks like he, and I don't think Quinn did this on purpose, it looks in fast. Like if you see it once, it's it looks like he driving, drives yeah. it in. Yeah. It wasn't late, obviously, because the ball was still in his hands. Sorry the kid hits hard. He's a yeah. walk-on from Cedar Rapids, the son yeah. of a coach. Yeah. yeah. I, what do you want? To, to speak to Deacon, I, like, for sure have way more faith because even yesterday, even though, I mean, they got two touchdowns out of the day, good for an Iowa offense, um, even though, like, it wasn't the craziest offensive game, like, they still had enough drives that, like, they were getting first downs and they were moving the ball downfield, just not quite enough, but they were moving the ball. I'm not... I mean, I'm already making a pronouncement that I'm not coming out and thinking that Deacon Hill is going to lead this team to a win in Indianapolis. I think that this team is still a long way from being ready to pull off something like that against Michigan or Ohio State. But in terms of like, can this guy win us a game next week in Lincoln? And can he win us a bowl game? I think so. I think he can at least do enough. He's not the guy winning us the game, but in terms of what Iowa needs out of a quarterback, I think he's got exactly that. I think he has what it takes to manage the game just well enough. He's yeah, there's against three pretty darn good defense, particularly Rutgers having yeah. this success. I mean, that's encouraging too, that, I feel like. That is encouraging. The only not encouraging thing is, you know, you just go in the middle of the game, there's six drives that end in punts. Yeah. And took some sacks there. And again, that Illinois got tackles. <laughs> yeah, they if they they can't do that against a team like Ohio State or Michigan who's going to score in bunches, even against a good uh, defense as Iowa. So it almost reminds me of the basketball team where they sometimes go like five minutes without scoring a basket, and then Creighton like you know builds a big lead. Yeah, like when you play really good teams, that's going to happen. So you know during the middle of that game, I was like, come on, you can't you know move the ball, and it seemed like Illinois was only going single high man, and it's like you can't hit a receiver to get separation and. And throw you know throw them out of that man coverage because they were stacking the box too and uh, but then Caleb broke one so it's like you know the the one thing that I would like to see Deacon take another step forward in is that like I I love and I credit that they're trying some deep balls they're having him throw some 30 40 yard passes I have not seen one connect yet <laughs> there, there have been a couple of passes to Nico that he's trying to go long to the end zone and they're just the timing still a bit off on those deep balls, and I'd love to see a couple more of those hit each game. I mean, if they can hit even two of those a game, that's a huge difference maker for that offense. I'd still like to see one. We're still thinking about the the one that Cade just overthrew to Seth and Ames. Oh, yeah. It would yeah. have been like a 91-yarder or whatever it was. Like, And that was first pass of the season was that that route to Seth. I'm surprised they haven't gotten him out more. Not that they haven't tried, but I think that's one of those plays, too, that Maybe people were expecting a little more of Seth was going to stretch a little bit just because he has a, a little bit more speed. But yeah. Well, I wonder if that long pass to, I think it was Caleb Brown. Done. It was pass interference. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder if that's completed if he doesn't get bumped. Could be. And that's another reason that you want me to want to take shots because the one thing against Northwestern saw a lot of success with the early PIs. When they're playing bump and run man coverage like they are, you know, they're they're handsy. So if they do, if you throw it over top and it's a overthrow because he wasn't going to catch that if once he got bumped, but we still got a first down out of it. So that's another aspect of going, you know, taking chances downfield is you can get those plays too. But of course, if you break a 30-yard run for a touchdown, that works too. And that was the case for Caleb Johnson 14 days ago at Wrigley. That was the conversation that kind of started rising up uh, in a group text I have. And I think we talked about it too of like, did Caleb Johnson play? What's wrong? What happened to Caleb Johnson? Is he okay? What's going on? Caleb Johnson is still here, folks. And it's been a weird two weeks for him, but he's stayed the course and it looks like it's paid off. Two weeks ago, you don't get a snap at Wrigley. Today, you have the touchdown. What's the last, what's the last 14 days been like? <laughs> just me just focusing on the little things and just grinding it out, being patient. Because I know it's some, like it's always going to come up. So I just had to be patient. And when my time comes, just take an opportunity and use it to my full advantage. So Simple as that. <laughs> Patience pays off. Were you guys expecting Caleb Johnson to... To be the hero that helps win the West, we, we've seen Leshon have breakout games. We've seen Jazz have his games. Boy, there was all the hype about Kamari Moulton against Western Michigan. It looks like him and, and TJ Washington's been banged up too, but uh, it looks like Kamari will probably redshirt. I think he's only played in three games, but boy, it, it's been, as it has been, aside from you know Tyler Goodson, I guess Mekhi Sargent was in there as well for Iowa, but it's never just one guy, but Boy, what a what a two week stretch for for Caleb Johnson. Yeah, uh, I would not have guessed that based on even the first three quarters of that game because sure. I mean, he, would, did he he hardly got a carry in the first quarter? It was a I lot think of he got on. a couple carries. They um, a lot of jazz, a lot of leash on. Yeah, Cre- credit to you got Ellen. the big run to seal the get the first down yeah. too, right? That yeah, was that a good was one too. too. Um, Illinois, they just w- won a lot of one on one ball carrier meeting a tackler, and they, I think that was a lot of the leading to those one-yard, two-yard gains on first down. It looked like the blocks were well. It's just there's a guy right there, and it's up to the running back to beat him, and what not happen. They were wrapping up really well. But, yeah, it's when they needed a run, boy, they got it. It was, uh, yeah, something special there. It, I mean, it's, I don't know, this is maybe a, a weird time to bring this up, but I, I think it's going to be worth a discussion now or later. Because there was some discussion prior to this game, like, is Caleb going to be on this team next year? He seemed like a likely option for a guy to hit the transfer portal. But again, all three of these running backs keep having games where they come out and somebody does well and then somebody doesn't do as well. And then the next game, it's the other guy. And it's like, will they be able to keep all three of these running backs on the roster next year? Or do you guys think that one of these guys is going to go find, find somewhere else to go? You know, it's... I never know if the foundation of those questions is just based on what we know about how NIL works and how things can shift so quickly uh, for players nowadays. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and there are examples, um, Jewel Hampton transferring to Southern Illinois, and that's the the biggest one I could think of. Brandon Wager transferred away from Iowa, obviously. Um, But I feel like more often than not, Iowa's kept kept a lot of guys around, and they just accept that it's a, a bit of a, a committee. I remember, I think this was going into the 2020 season, um, I asked Ivory Kelly Martin, maybe he was 21. You know, he was a, a fifth-year guy. I said, hey, like, you know, it's a, a crowded running back room, and you're probably good enough to, if you wanted to, go somewhere and go be the guy somewhere. I asked why, and he goes, I just love this program. Mm-hmm. And... I was reminded of that sentiment of guys not playing a lot, but just wanting to be a part of this. Dejon Parker, very quickly after the game, tweeted something out along the lines of, best decision of my life. A kid that we talked about transferring in from Saginaw Valley State, they were like, hey, that he'll plug in and be on that line right away, and he's going to elevate everything. He's rarely played this year. Yeah. And still that kid with that attitude in a season where he could be like, boy, I'm not getting my touches. I'm not getting my reps. He's part of the Big Ten West champions. So I wonder if if that factors in for Caleb, too, if if him and Leshawn and Jazz, Kamari and TJ, all those guys, if they're like, hey, like, we'll get our carries when we get our carries. And we'll and I'm sure Liddell Betts does a great job mm. 
keeping those guys humble and hungry. Uh, but I wonder if that keeps that that running back room together. But uh, again, to your point, like it, guys can can go find their their next adventures uh, a little yeah. more easily and a little more lucratively than they than they used to. Yeah, I certainly wouldn't like um, hold it against him. I mean, yeah. I, I, earlier in the season, I I can't remember if it was Kamari who said it after his game against Western, where the running back room thinks that or has the belief that they can all eat. Like there's all there's food at the table for everyone. Uh, looking at the stats this year, you know, LaShawn leads with 668 yards. All three of the top combined, it's over 1,200 yards. But a guy like Jazz Patterson, who I think could could be, if needed, if need be, be a feature back, only has 191 rushing yards. I only say only, but you could see him being he like a— wild, though. Yeah, he right? So he would hard. have more. He you runs so hard. Like three, every, every time he runs for like four yards, like, boy, like he hurts somebody. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I guess I wouldn't be— I wouldn't hold it against anyone who, if, if they thought like, man, I could, for another program, we didn't have this many good running backs. I could, I could go out there and be, you know, a lead back. Yeah. Um, but it seems like they all think that they can, you know, prosper here and, and all eat. And there's been a few that have transferred out like, bless <coughs> you, is the season. Uh, after not playing, like Samson Evans is a great example who I think is like Eastern Michigan's all-time leading rusher, like leads them in rushing touchdowns. Mm. He was a kid that was in Iowa City for a year, didn't play, goes there and has success. But I feel like more often than not, they keep, you know, when it was Goodson and and Ivory and Torin Young, that that room stayed together. Um, In 15, it was Kanzari and Wadley, and I'm thinking there was somebody else there too. Um, Derek Mitchell, the late Derek Mitchell, was was part of that as well. Um, it's, it's like they all just get enough of a taste of yeah, sure. glory that it's it's enough to keep him around. I mean, and Caleb again. It's like last night he really gets to soak in being the hero of Iowa City and and a guy that everybody's going to now be talking about as a guy who secured them the Big Ten West. And and even if I think that was his third rushing touchdown of the year, so it's not like he has a bunch. I believe. Yeah, and I think they've all been long ones I too. Think he's right? got the most on the team. He he leads the team in rushing touchdowns with three, um, and so it's like everybody kind of gets their chance to be in the spotlight for a moment, and that's enough to say like, hey, this is a pretty pretty good spot. And I yeah. kind of like. Lashawn only has one touchdown. That one against Wisconsin. I that's kind of. I guess he has a receiving touchdown too. Yeah, against Western had the um, had the screen pass. Yeah, Caleb and then and Jazz and Kamari both have two. Yeah. So, Corey had his two against Western. Jazz yeah. had Iowa State and Rutgers. Oh, no, he scored last. Yeah, last oh, yeah, Rutgers. Rutgers. Yeah, that short one. Well, so Caleb Johnson gets to walk out the hero, and there's another guy who walked out of Kinnick one last time as a champion. And what a scene that was. We'll talk about the final game at Kinnick for Brian Ferens after the break. It is the end of the Brian Ferens era. This uh, last few games, these last three games now, Iowa guaranteed three final games as they wrap up at Nebraska, then the Big Ten title game, and then a bowl game. And so that's how Brian Ferentz's career will end. This was the last time he walked out of Kinnick as a member of the coaching staff. And as it's been for most of the last few years, offense had moments of pulling your hair, but when it counted... As we've seen more often than not, they figure out a way. Kirk Ferentz and Deacon Hill talking about the end of Brian's time as OC and walking out of Kinnick as a Big Ten West champ. Yeah, yeah. so we had senior day today and then also, you know, his last day here. So there is uh, some sentimental value to that, certainly. And, um, you know, so just glad it turned out the way it did. I'm just really proud of him. He's He's been uh, just really... I think uh, admirable in the way he's handled a very tough situation. And I'm not quite sure I know how he's done it, but I really am proud of him as a dad. And, um, you know, can't say enough about that, but I do try to keep things separate. And I'm really proud of him as a head coach, too. And, again, I think we've got a great staff here of guys that just, you know, care about the right things. It's awesome. You know, you know the way things are, you know, it's his last game here in Kinnick, but uh, I couldn't be happier for the guy. Um, I haven't been this grateful in a while to play for a coach in my life, and I'm extremely grateful to play for him. Um, I love that guy to death. Uh, you know, puts he puts me in some good spots. He's taught me a lot so far. So, there was a heck of a moment there, uh, right before the final knee, where where Brian and Kirk got to embrace on the field. I think we've got a shot of that. Uh, but Brian gets a Gatorade bath and gets this moment, and we were just talking. I, I don't know if I've ever heard. And I don't, I don't think he means this as crass. And that's a great sign there. 
I've never heard Kirk refer to himself as dad until that moment where he said, I'm very proud as a dad. And Kirk's very dry humor. We talked about it in that, that first presser after the announcement that Brian wasn't going to be back of, we have a biological connection. I'm very fond of him. <laughs> and then there says, oh yeah, it was senior day and also that. So there's a sentimental element there. Like that's Kirk just <laughs> trying to be as light as possible. Yeah. And, um, I, I can't fathom uh, him being a dad watching your son and he's seen his son go through some yeah. awful nightmares and then have to go through a public firing and I can't imagine the pride he must have and he, he said it, I, I don't know if it was in that bite or another bite of just I don't know how he's been able to, mm-hmm. him talking about Brian of just handling it. I think part of it is Brian's his father's son and feel like they, they are very good at compartmentalizing things and just kind of, yeah. kind of moving on but um, Boy, what a moment. And there's been a lot of sentiment, it feels like. I don't know how much you, you guys have looked on social media of people just being like, it's like the end of every like cliche sports movie. You're just like, yeah, it wasn't so bad after all. Like kind of that sentiment. I mean, they're like, yeah, there needed to be a change, but hey, like, that's pretty neat. That's not what I was hearing in the crowd yesterday. <laughs> but <laughs> I was just gonna say I felt like the last two games, like there were no chance or anything. There like weren't that. any chance, but like there's I've been to two games as fans and just they're saying people, they were wondering where yeah, behind me or just, you know, every time there's a bad play or the three and out, that's what Brian, Fer- you know, just stuff They'll like that. They'll be doing that in 2029, man. Yeah. Oh, we run a Brian Ferentz offense. Like <laughs> Greg Davis, who he come back. Like, yeah, I, I have mixed feelings about it. I'm glad he got, went out a winner and, yeah. you know, have fond memories, to use that phrase again, of him playing back in, t- that was one of the first teams that I really yeah. watched as a fan growing up and uh, just, happy as well that we get to move forward and hopefully evolve offensively because you know they're nine and two we should be proud of that we should as fans be excited to go to another big 10 title game at the same time if you know say it every week this illinois defense gave up 45 points to indiana is not like the greatest so with a better offensive plan maybe it wouldn't be that dramatic at the end you know what i mean all things considered all things it couldn't have ended better for Brian to be able to go out as a Big Ten yeah. West champion. And I, I don't often focus on like watching him after a game or seeing him leave the field, but he was very joyful. Yeah. I mean, he was filled with a lot of joy after that game, and it was great to see that. And, got, and his players were yeah. so happy for it, him. I mean, yeah, there's just it, – it needed to be done. He needed to – I think you could be, be happy gone, for him, and he's. Yeah. I think he's going to land on his feet, get an O-line job somewhere, and – and it, sounds like a hell of a coach, just didn't work out as a play caller, which it was, is all. It was really interesting to go and see, like, I mean, so I went up there for the Hawk Walk before the game and just snapped a few pictures and videos and stuff of him walking into the game one last time and his his whole family. I, I guess I don't know his family situation, um, how many kids he has, or there was a very large gathering of a wife and a bunch of kids around there. I don't know if those were all his kids or there were some nieces and nephews in there or something too, but a big group of people there. And, and a lot of those kids were crying, um, knowing that that was going to be their last time getting a chance to experience that at Kinnick, unless they go for their grandpa, for Kirk. Um, but that's it's hard to see that family element come into play where it's like you, you know that the, the, the social scrutiny that comes to Brian absolutely reaches the rest of that family too. There's no way that they can avoid hearing some of the things that are said about their dad. And it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to cope with that, just knowing that he's a dad and he's a, probably a pretty decent person as well, um, but also knowing that like a change need to be made. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to think about all the things that they've had to go through during this time. Yeah, I went to Hawk Walk, walk or is that what's called? Hawk Walk? Hawk Walk. I, that sounded wrong coming out of my mouth. But I went there last week for the Rutgers game and I saw his, his wife and kids sitting there too. Mm-hmm. And he almost... Made a Kirk Ferentz comment. He goes, "Oh, they let you in, huh?" It's like, <laughs> which yeah, I'm like, that sounds like a Kirk Ferentz, yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, you see it in movies all the time uh, of just the how tough being a coach can be on a, a family, whether it's the the for sale signs in the yard, and I know guys that have gone through that and have had really rough stints where stuff like that happens, and uh, again, just the reminders of. Human beings, you know, they, they're going home and just trying to raise their kids the best way they can. They're trying to be a good good companion, their spouse. And mm-hmm. um, Going back to what Kirk said, man, how, how do you 
handle and able to keep that to the side, all the crap you've heard about yourself all over. Because there's no, even if he's not online, he walks into the stadium for the better part of the last three years and hears booze anytime his unit doesn't do something exactly right and then the chance with your name. Yeah. That'd break people. Yeah. I mean, just think about that. Destroy people. Thinking about it being his son who, guessing as a guy who's only had nieces and nephews, but a son who's whatever, maybe eight to ten years old, being in the stadium and hearing thousands of people chant, fire my dad. That's that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I I hate thinking about that. Yeah. So you better yeah. Iowa fans. Yeah, there's no there's no good segue. Myself out of this. included. Um, Brian, <laughs> wherever you end up, you're going to be great. I got a transition. Yeah. Sixteen years. On, oh, sorry. What's that? I got a transition. If you want one. Okay. I was just going to say. You're just going to do the horn. They <laughs> did the math of sixteen years on the Iowa sideline as either a player or coach, and that's a lot lot of Hawkeye yeah. service over the years. He's got black and gold around his veins yeah. for a cliche. Does he have a tattoo like uh, like the, the Brett Bielema? Unreported. Has? I I was close to Illinois. <laughs> And I want a uh, sideline, and I was like, let's see the Tiger Hawk, Brett. <laughs> What'd you call him, Brett? Bert? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Mike, Mike, uh, Mike is a fan first sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of someone, maybe we should be chanting Fire Owen with these picks. Oh, Ooh, I six. thought I was doing so well yesterday. Look at Mitch. Look at oh, Mitch boy. go above 500. <laughs> We're turning so many close ones with one like on week here, right? yeah. Just to recap for the audio audience, we all missed on Michigan because they, they only won by seven. The spread was 19 and a half. Boy, I shouldn't have gave up on Maryland. I was on Maryland for yeah. two and a half months. Penn State covered the 20 points. Um, was that a 21 I, point finish too? No, I think it was 20. Oh yeah, it was 21. 27 to six. Wow. <sighs> That one frustrates the hell out of me because that I'm was fine. close for the entire game. Rutgers has God had a couple, dang, haven't Rutgers. they, where they've just let it go. At the, it happened yeah. against Ohio State, didn't it? Yeah. Guess who picked Ohio State to cover that game? <laughs> I, whatever one I picked it right. We all had Indiana covering four points. They lost straight up to Michigan State at home, which is kind of a surprising result. Michigan State, um, you know, has been struggling of late. Purdue lost to Northwestern. Are you sure I picked Purdue to win that game? I mean, I want to check the replay on that. <laughs> I, I write them as you say them. Bowl eligible <laughs> Northwestern. We we haven't even talked. We talked a bit about earlier, but Kirk Ferentz probably Big Ten Coach of the Year, or maybe the front runner for it. David yeah. Braun, man, give him some sort of special recognition. <laughs> Big Ten. Un. This seems silly, but do you think it counts if they get to ten wins? Like a ten win season is so much different than a nine wins in in my like little brain head. Like, well, my little brain head did the same thing back in. <laughs> We're forever going to call our inner monologues now Little Brainhead. Um, I remember <laughs> asking DJK about that in 2009 after they beat Minnesota to go 10-2. and two. And I asked him, I was like, this sounds weird. Does, like, does 10 wins feel like a bigger deal than just nine? He's like, yeah, it's, you know, it's double digits. That's a big... Yeah, that's a plateau. Like 100 wins in baseball. Minnesota, I know, they went 11-2 and two in 2019. They went 10-3 and three in 2003. Those are the only two times this century they had. They hadn't had, I think their other two 10-win seasons were something like 1907 or 8. I didn't know they played 10 games back then. I was going to say, did they ever do it? They did, yeah. I I think it just reminds you of, even though you see it more and more, and obviously the best teams in the country are going 11-1, 12-0, 13-0. Soon to be like 18-0 with the playoff. 10 is a big deal. If you can get in double-digit, when you're playing 14, 15 games a year, or even 12 or 13, mm-hmm. that's a big deal. I don't know if there's a two, just a, a, a chance of, I have to look at it, if they get 10 wins, you know, lose a close one in the Big Ten title game, if they have an outside shot at New Year's Six, I'd probably say, I, I don't know, they'd, they'd be choosing over Iowa and Penn State, I think, at 10 if and two. They, if they, here's the thing that'll really mess with people's heads. Are you a Cooper DeGene left arm away from if they win the Big Ten title in Indy, being a playoff team. CFP. They'd be 12-1. and one. They'd be Big Ten champs with a win over one of the top three teams, and their only loss is to a Penn State team that would be 10th or 11th maybe in the rankings. I mean, you probably would. Just yes. depends on, you know, every, Washington undefeated. Is... Florida State just lost Jordan Travis. Florida State... Might lose oh, they did? I missed that. Yeah. Damn, that's that sucks big, for them. That's yeah. a big loss. And he was yeah. great. It's, it's, it's wild, though. I mean, that's, that's football. To be, to be honest, if, 
if I were casting a vote for Big Ten Coach of the Year, mine would go to Braun. I mean, as much as He's like incredible. knowing the inner workings of this Iowa program, I mean, I know that what Kirk has done has been amazing. This Northwestern team, I feel like, has to go down in the Northwestern history books for what they've accomplished this year after a one-win season, off-season turmoil, first-year head coach. First first time he's been a head coach, right, David Brown? And he leads them to a bowl game. He's a D.C. at North Dakota State less than a year ago. What, what he's done there cannot be fathomed. I, I really hope that David Brown wins Big Ten Coach. I thought year. I was going on. And I was like, yeah, I think they'll be, they'll be better than people think. I think they'll be 4-8. <laughs> and eight. Might tell some, if they win next week the, against Illinois, they'll be 7-5 and five <laughs> after everything they just went through. If they could do it, too. If they beat Iowa, they could be in the driver's seat for the Big Ten West spot in the Big Ten title game. I mean, they're a Drew Stevens field goal there, possibly away from that. Yeah. Yeah. Hats Speaking off of to Drew Stevens, the his uh, blocked extra point is the only thing that gave me the win on that Illinois cover because it would have been a push. Stop I, betting I, I on this about team. That. Well, no, I'm just saying I, yeah. In, in, in these, he's talking about. He's the only one who actually uses his picks, guys. Just keep that <laughs> I actually won a parlay, not, not to bug us down, but Louisville was a dog against Miami. They won by seven, and I paired that up with the Northwestern straight up. So nice. Louis, Louisville's 10-1. and one. That's wild. Brom going into the alma mater and, and having a lot of success. Um, yeah. So I'm 10 games under. That feels good. Boy, that feels real good going into the final week of the year. By the way, did you see who started for Nebraska at quarterback yesterday? I did not. Chubba Purdy. Uh, really? Yeah. Brother Brock. Had a 55-yard touchdown run. There's a kid I used to cover in Sioux City who's a, who's a backup quarterback there in Nebraska, Luke Longvall. I'd rather see Sims play, to be honest, just a walking turnover. Um, <laughs> All three of those guys can run. Yeah. And, uh, boy, we'll see. I think Nebraska needs to win to, to get to 6-6, six and six, right? Mm -hmm. Two and questions. I, I was a, a point-and-a-half favorite. The over-under is 27-and-a-half mm. for those playing at home. That continues to get lower. Is that the new all-time low now? That would be, I believe, the all-time low. Two questions before we wrap up. Were you surprised that just with the factor that Olmeyer could run better that we never saw him at all yesterday? Hmm. I know he's more turnover prone, and I get, Iowa I is usually a ball hawk. I'm wondering if once Cooper gets knocked out, they're like, okay, well, yeah. the pass is where we're going to have success. Yep. John's been riding a hot streak. We're just going to go with him. Again, I was surprised to see his stat line was under 50% completion because it felt like he just... Especially considering what passes. Iowa did the previous week to... Gavin Wimsat and Kyle Manongai, like, I mean, they just went nowhere. And so they're like, you know. Love had a couple nice runs, though. Yeah, in the second half, they started to open it up. Yeah. My second question to you guys early, let's, let's be the first podcast to talk about it. Maybe not the first. Who would you rather have, Michigan or Ohio State? I think we already talked about this, didn't we? <laughs> we absolutely did. Today? On this podcast? I think Wednesday, yeah. Oh, on Wednesday. Oh. Maybe we we're did. off air. But now that we're totally and 100% confirmed in the Big Ten title game, who are you going to root for? Because the game is this week on Saturday. I, I think, again, I can't remember if this was on air or off, talked about I would want Ohio State because J.J. McCarthy, crocodile sign eating greater than Kyle McCord. Did you guys learn about greater than and less mm -hmm. than and, yeah, and with, yeah, have the crocodile yeah. analogy? Eating them, yeah. I was seven. See, I retained it. Um, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. J, JJ would just be the the tougher weapon to stop for the Iowa defense. Not that Iowa's defense has run into a weapon they can't stop yet, um, but I think that would, that would be the, the bigger if challenge. Cooper was here, I'd be way more um, in my uh, conviction of that just because yeah. Marvin Harrison is a beast. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to see Jamari up against him. I think right. that'd be fun. I think that'd be fun. I think Jamari's up for it. I think Blake Hornstein tweeted out a video that Tory Taylor picked J.J. Uh, McCarthy as his Heisman favorite right now. He's like, I don't really follow much else in football, but he was like, I think uh, he's been having a good year. J.J. has, so he'd be my favorite. <laughs> he's Which not, is, he's yeah. not wrong. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, the advantage, maybe, of playing Michigan is that you have two guys on the roster who could give you a little bit sure. of inside knowledge of that Some signs maybe <laughs> connor's coming over cade stallions um, yeah didn't there wasn't there a guy there was a guy that you got a shot of in the uh in the crowd yesterday that had it had a block m on the shirt and i don't know if it's sold by some bookstore in ann arbor what it what did it say exactly uh i'm just here i'm just here to steal the signs or something like that yeah. <laughs> lol um 
Yeah. Actually, I then saw he had like a daughter with him who was wearing the same shirt, and I was like, oh, that would have been a better picture than, <laughs> for <laughs> the Connor Stallings disguise. I will um, say Michigan 2, they'd be coming in getting Harbaugh back because he's only suspended for the regular season. Mm. And so they're, I mean, yeah, that'd be a... They're motivated. Yeah, I mean, sure. not that Ohio State wouldn't be, but yeah, the, I mean, I, boy, Marvin would just eat our lunch, I feel like, if we play against Ohio State. Um huh? DBU, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't there know, hasn't man. been a that receiver be that's eight against him. Yeah, you know? I mean, the hey, best I, receiver in the listen, country, though. He he's, should be. He's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. He's unbelievable. He should be in the Heisman consideration. Oh, definitely top three but Heisman. Should be. I don't think he is, but. Really? I'm the last one I saw were, like, it was a social media post from the Heisman. It was all four quarterbacks. He's kind of gone as McCord's gone, which, I mean, yeah. that's fine. McCord's uh, come a long way from mm-hmm. from August to, to now. He's, he's made a lot of strides. A lot. Allow us to be the first also. Um, so me and uh, Curtis Fader and I were the last ones here last night. We were looking up some bowl games and projections and what have you. Um, so it seems like almost a certainty that I was going to play a January 1st bowl game in Orlando. Um, Citrus Bowl. Yeah. Either the Citrus Bowl or the, who were those guys who were there last night? The What's the Outback Bowl called now? That's in Tampa. Right. I said Florida, right? Or did I say oh, you said Orlando, Orlando, but yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, what is, what is the thing now? Bowl called now? Reliquest Bowl? The Reliquest Bowl. Reliquest yeah. One of those two, it seems like, and I feel like even the Citrus Bowl might have the advantage in those because... That that would be... You're essentially going as the fourth best Big Ten team, right. which would be your 10-3. and three Even if they the, lose to Nebraska, they'd be the fourth best Big Ten team. Yeah, sure. Because you got to think, Michigan or Ohio State's going to be in the CFP... I mean, there's a path that t- both of them could be. It's not especially super with Florida State year. maybe. Yeah, shaky now. Yeah, it's not super likely, but it is possible that both could be. If that if that happened, I might be in the Orange Bowl. I don't know. <laughs> but then you've got um, Mich- both Michigan and Penn State are probably going to get like next like elite bowl game invites for the. I know Orange Bowl was one of them, and then I forget what the other like big at large game was. We'll have to see what happens with Penn State too. If I remember right, I think Drew Aller went out with a injury as well but i feel like both those teams are going to get like super top tier bowl invitations assuming penn state wins next week um who do they play uh somebody bad i think they play michigan state maybe who's penn state yeah they usually do they they usually play sounds like drew aller is uh week to week and i'm looking at penn state's but nevertheless someone listening to this three days from now is screaming penn state schedule at us uh, it's 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 michigan state State. yeah 6 p.m they play for a trophy the lane grant Trophy or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> laying ran trophy. Um, so I would say that, yeah, uh, Hawkeye fans can just about book their plane tickets to Florida for January 1st. I believe we've booked our some accommodations in Indianapolis. Yep. Is that what you said? Did that on Friday. I had a cancellation policy. Didn't want to jinx them. So, but, yeah. We did, and we're planning that trip now. That'll, so. That'll be fun. Three-tier bunk beds for us? What do we got? <laughs> That's what we requested. Uh, they said they don't do them, and we said, well, we won't take no for an answer, and... We'll see what happens. Indianapolis is such a fun town. I don't know if you guys never been. Have been. I've been for the Big Ten tournament basketball. Yeah, that uh, I was there in 2015 covering Michigan State against Iowa, and that was that was. <laughs> I still remember the word coming out as we were getting closer to kickoff of like, yeah, one of the big bars down there ran out of beer. <laughs> like Iowa fans went nuts. And it was like almost in a concerned like, <laughs> they were like what, what are we gonna do? Like guys, what do we do? And I think that might have been the night before, like that Friday night, it happened mm-hmm. um, yeah. because college game day was in because it was oh, essentially yeah. a college football playoff quarterfinal between Iowa and Michigan State. Um, <clears throat> that was yeah, that was a day, man. That was that was something. I think didn't Iowa do that to Chicago too? Did they run one? They of those tend to do out? that. They're a bit of a. Are they, they running the Midwest out of beer this I, season? <laughs> Iowa fans tend to be an invasive. Iowa State has group. one too. Um, yeah, they did that in San Antonio. Yeah, right. Yeah, hmm. that's uh, hey, in heaven there is no beer. That's uh, that's what we've been told. I'm still <laughs> looking for the the Bible verse that that references that. What was the question that uh, was that Doctorman yesterday oh, yeah. that asked Logan Lee something about? Job, the book, the book of, Job, of Job, like feels like this team is like something out of the book of Job, just with all just the every everything, <laughs> everything that, that goes go wrong. wrong. The second act of a three act play, just every yeah, every situation that rises. Hey, that's what makes it fun once you pull out and look top down, and yeah, it's uh, quite the ride. And you still get to go to we get, all get to go to Lincoln now for Black Friday. Yeah, 
It's going to be a fun uh, we week. Get to go to Nebraska. How about that? Uh, we do get to go to Indianapolis, so that's what I'm looking for. But I've never been to Lincoln. It's a fun town. There you go. Nebraska fans are surprisingly nice. So yeah, you got a bunch of like free turkey sandwiches or something. Uh, I forget what they're called, but they're like sausage and cheese sandwiches. These breakfast fans sandwiches. just started. Did you get breakfast sandwiches? Runza. Yeah. yeah, those those Runzas. They bought us like three, and we're like, we have money. We're not poor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we'll. Obviously, look ahead to Nebraska and Mike's chances of getting free sandwiches from people in Lincoln. Coming up on Wednesday on Eye of the Hawks, thanks for everybody for watching and listening, however you may be. Uh, we'll start recapping our trip to Lincoln, or start looking ahead to our trip to Lincoln and to the trip to Indy on Wednesday with Eye on the Hawks. Thanks for subscribing to social media and everything like that. We'll, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Eye on the Hawks.